Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the final chapter, number 13 of his treatise on truth, Anselm is going to lead us through back and forth dialogue and argumentation to the point where we are supposed to see that there is a unity of truth itself or of rectitude, veritas, rectitudo are the terms that he's using there. And this will ultimately be truth itself, capital T, that is God. There is some pre prefiguration of this going on in two earlier chapters. For example, chapter 10, he's going to talk about the highest or supreme truth, which is God as being the cause of all other rectitudes, all other rightnesses, which is what truth consists in for these different modalities of signification and willing and truth even in the existence or the being of things, right? And then in chapter 11, we're going to get a definition of truth, rectitude, perceivable by the mind alone, which encompasses all of these different kinds of truth, including the supreme truth as well. And now notice this is very important that he's not saying rectitude of willing, of action, of speech, of, you know, uh, thinking, of, of the very being of things. He's just talking about rightness or rectitude per se, and any kind of rightness that's perceivable by the mind that falls under these categories is going to be truth. Now, this raises a really important question for him and his student at the beginning of chapter 13. Is truth one or is it plural? And even with having a supreme truth, a truth that's at like the top of the pyramid or what, however you want to represent it, it is conceivable that there could be a number of different modalities of truth. Maybe the supreme truth is just like the highest truth or the best truth or truth deserving a capital T, but these other kinds of truth are not the same thing as the supreme truth. And they have their own being, their own, whatever we want to call it, their own disconnected legitimacy or separated existence, despite whether they're connected with the highest truth or not. And so here's the key question. Is there one truth, one single truth in all things, in things there is race, which is this very broad category that we say truth is in. So is there one single truth that exists in thought, whether it be cognition or judgment in signification, whether it be the first or the second kind of signification that Anselm discusses in the will, in action, whether in rational, non-necessary action or irrational, necessary action, in the very being or existence of things. There's a lot of stuff already, right? Is there one truth in all these things that we have said truth is in throughout this entire treatise? Or here's another possibility. Are there as many truths as many kinds of truth as there are things called true. This second statement, by the way, could be taken in two different ways. 
Maybe we say that there are as many truths as there are singular things, which could be like states of affairs or, you know, single sentences or pick whatever you want, single volitions called truths. So like maybe there are a myriad of truths just in my own history of willing and action and talking, expression, thinking, right? Maybe there's like an infinity of truths just in the lifetime of a single person. Or maybe what Anselm is suggesting here is that there's different modalities of truth. So you got a kind of truth over here that is the truth in signification. There is a kind of truth over here that is the truth in action. Now, of course, they're connected together because every action is significative and every signification is an action. Put that aside. Maybe there's really two or three or four or five or how many kinds of truth we have, major types of things, right? And Anselm draws out some interesting conclusions that would follow if we accept the second alternative. He says, if there must be as many different rectitudes, rightnesses, as there are things, their existence, or rather their, their being, right, their essay in Latin, would depend upon or would be derived from those things, secundum race, right? So if there's truth in signification and truth in the will, then the rectitude of truth in signification would be derived from secundum signification and the rectitude, the, the rightness, the truth of willing would be derived from the will. Okay, so that signifies a kind of ontological dependency or a causality, if you like, right? And that would be a problem in part because after all, we've seen earlier that all truths are ultimately going to be causally connected with the supreme truth. But there'd be another problem there as well. Rectitudes themselves would be varied, right? And he uses, you know, this, this, terminology there in Latin that's very cognate with this, right? Literally, they would be the kinds of things that differ from each other, just as those things, those kinds of things, willing, signification, action, being, vary from each other, variantur, right, in Latin. So that would be a problem too, because then we'd have a hard time saying, how are these different truths actually connected with each other? We would have like truth and signification over here, and that's really got nothing in common with truth in willing over here. And, you know, maybe that's the case, Anselm thinks that it's not, and he's going to approach this in kind of an interesting way. So the student is going to bring up a mistaken analogy, and he's going to say that maybe signification and rectitude are connected together like body and color. Now, what would this mean? So if you've got a body, it has to have color because that's the nature of bodies. Even if you call it transparent, okay, well, it's it's the colors of the thing that you're seeing through it, right? We can't really get out of this, but that doesn't 
tell you that there has to be any body and color is dependent upon body, right? So maybe let's take signification, maybe rectitude or rightness or truth of signification is dependent upon, right? As we saw here, the signification. If you don't have signification, no truth, right? So if I'm not saying anything, I'm not saying anything true. I'm also not lying. Unless perhaps I'm gesturing through my not saying something. And the student thinks that this is not a bad analogy at the start. He, he says, rectitude exists only in signification and changes when signification does, just as color has existence and non-existence in body. If the body exists, its color necessarily is. When the body is destroyed, the color cannot remain. And Anselm says, no, this is not a good analogy. Why not? And he goes on to say, we can learn something from this. If no one wishes to signify what a sign ought to mean, will the sign have any signification? And the student says, no, no, that, it won't. That's the point here. And then Anselm says, how then can it be correct in order to signify what it ought to? And the student says, rectitude won't be on this account be any less, nor need this be any less. And Anselm goes on and says, when it does not mean it does not lose the rectitude by which it exists and which requires it to signify what it ought to. And then he goes on and says, do you think that when what ought to be signified is signified, which means it's, it's true, right? The signification is correct on account of and according to this rectitude. And the student says, well, yeah, right. And then Anselm says, well, that rectitude is there whether or not the sign or set of signs exists or not. The rectitude is always going to be there. And we measure the signification by the rectitude that remains when the sign and the signification ends. Even going forward from that, he says, do you not see that there is no rectitude and signification which comes into existence when what is said to be or what is said not to be? What is not is not is said not to be, but that signification then comes to be according to a rectitude which always is, always exists. And when it means what it should or nothing at all, then it falls away from a never failing rectitude. And the student says something very interesting here. I see that I'm unable not to see this. Very interesting locution there, right? I realized that I was talking nonsense before, or I was talking something that was false, and now I see the truth of what truth is in signification. The truth is not of signification. The signification is rather of truth, right? And Anselm goes on and says, you know, the same thing can be said for the other rectitudes, right? Not only is this analogy of body to color and signification to rectitude, that doesn't work because the rectitude is always there. The truth is always, and the signification is measured according to that or embodies that. This also holds, he says, for will and its rectitude and of the other things that ought to have rectitude. And the student goes on and says, I see that by this argument is also proved completely that however it be with these, rectitude remains immutable. And so we've got a really interesting thing accomplished here, right? So we've dealt with what we could call the ontological priority, you know, here of, is it the thing that is supposed to be true that makes the truth be the truth, or is it the, the other way around? And we've also got that there's a connection between these different modalities. Now they're going to go even further though and say that this leads us to the point of saying there is not actually a plurality of 
truths or rectitudes. There is just one ultimate truth. And that's a much stronger claim, isn't it? So he goes on and he says, I said earlier, if there are as many rectitudes as there are things in which they are considered, it's necessary they exist, they have being, and vary as the things themselves do. This is the student saying. But this has been shown not to be the case. So there are not many rectitudes just because rectitude is found in many things. Rectitude is found in many things, but there's only actually one ultimate rectitude. And Anselm says, do you have any argument other than the plurality of things, why they seem to you to be many? And the student says, well, no. And so Anselm says, therefore, there is one and the same rectitude of all. Now, that leaves open the idea that maybe the student doesn't actually spend enough time thinking about other objections that could be made, but we're going to put that aside because we're interested in what's going on here. So Anselm is going to say that there is only one rectitude and there's only one truth in all of these things. And then the student says, all right, but this is confusing to me because we do talk about the truth of this thing and the truth of this thing. So if they're the same truth, why do we index it to different things? And then Anselm says, we need to like actually think about our language here. He says, it's improperly said to be of this or that thing because truth doesn't have its existence or its being. And here he's going to say three things. It doesn't have its existence or being in, in, in Latin, from, ex, or through, per, those things. Those things don't make the truth. The truth makes those things true. So he says, when those things are said to be according to truth, which always, now this is very interesting, always excels them, presto est, meaning it's always more than what those things themselves are, then truth is said to be of this or that thing. That is the truth of will or the truth of action. And then he draws a really interesting analogy here that he's going to close the entire treatise with. Everything true is ultimately in truth. And there's an analogy here to time itself. And I leave it to you to think about whether this is a good analogy or not, whether there's problems with it. He says, we speak of the time of this or that thing, although there is one in the same time of everything that is together at the same time. If this or that thing did not exist, there's still the same time. We don't say the time of this or that thing because time is in those things, but because they are in time. Similarly, he says, we can say that the highest truth subsists in itself and belongs to no thing. But when something is in accord with it, then we speak of its truth and rectitude. So in a certain way, everything is in the truth of the highest, the, the supreme truth, right? So it's kind of a, a weak analogy here to time. It's not, he's not saying it's exactly the same way. But what this shows us is that for Anselm, there is a unity of truth. It doesn't prevent us from talking about the truths of different things, whether these be individual things or whether they be kinds of things like truth in the will, truth in action, truth in signification. But in a certain sense, truth is as the supreme being and everything else is going to be measured, structured, made true in accordance with that truth. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.